0: Hello, my name is Louise Newsome, and you're listening to the Trade and Prosper podcast channel, where we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those that are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds and hearts to create a better place for us all, and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods and services, as well as building long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. On this episode, you will meet Andre Springer, who was born in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, where he spent most of his life. He began performing in the streets and bars of New York City at the age of 20 much of it being the creation of his drag alter ego, Shaquanda Kaka Malata. Shaquanda confronts gender lines, racial stereotypes through erratic spontaneous performances, and he-she exists currently in the form of a delicious hot sauce. Hey Andre, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> nice to
1: see you too. Well, we
0: are sitting in a gorgeous house in Harlem on 131st Street. You live around here, right? I do, yeah. I actually live right around the corner. But your product, I know when I've looked at your uh, hot sauce label that it says Bedsty mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. So tell us a little bit about that. So, Bedsty
1: is where I grew up and uh, incorporating the kind of feeling of the Caribbean, which is where my mom, my mom's from Barbados. And so the the Bed-Stuy Barbadian thing was part of the flavor or like the story of the flavor.
0: When did you first start making the hot sauce and why? I started,
1: was that 2014 was the first, I mean, I was making it before that, just like randomly making like chutneys and stuff with my family. Like we always eat pepper sauce with things or we eat like pickled peppers or pickled spicy, um, like cabbage and carrots. So there's always been this aspect of hot pickled things. And I made my first batch with my little brother for Bushwig, which is this drag queen festival that happens once a year in Brooklyn.
0: So it was a family, it was a cultural thing. Yes, yes, correct. And the hot sauce market, I mean, it's really, booming what I see and I know I've talked to you about my nephew who Uh loves hot sauce Uh and every time I go back to England I take hot sauces he's had yours and (laughs) raved about it so I mean do you find that it's a lot of younger people that are into hot sauce
1: I think it's a lot of everyone like I'm always surprised whenever I do markets like who you know it's like you find out you're trying to find who your customer is and so like I'm always like finding new customers and like I'm always pleasantly surprised and Uh, I would say like a lot, yes, a lot of like young people are like into it because of how culturally aware I think, you know, the younger ones are just like with like television, food culture, just like the sort of approach to ethnic food and the incorporation of it like involves like a lot of spice. And so we're seeing a lot of people enjoying and cooking with spice and like appreciating it and starting off earlier rather than later incorporating it in their diets.
0: I think you're right. I mean, we think of people like Anthony Bourdain and uh, who's the, the English guy, the naked chef. What's oh, his I name? I can't remember his name. Uh, oh, it's, <laughs> was it uh, 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 Jamie Oliver? Uh, okay. Jamie Oliver, right? I mean, the TV culture, like you said, I mean, people are watching just this amazing broad array of culture and food through different cultures. Mm-hmm. So I think minds have opened because I know when I was growing up. It was not like that, (laughs) (laughs) especially in England. We were still on canned food. So the name of your product is Shaquanda, right? Did I pronounce that correctly? That is correct, yes. So who is Shaquanda? So
1: Shaquanda is a character of mine that I developed over the years when I started doing drag in the clubs and the bars uh, for New York City nightlife. And, you know, when I was thinking of a name for a drag character, I wanted something to reflect where I grew up. And so, like, I was always, you know, fascinated with that name in general, because it's just such the constants, the way it reads, Quanta. When you say it, you just, like, it kind of feel like, oh, that's a name. You know, it's like a very, for me, it's like a very name that's distinctive. And it gives you an image. Yes. Part of, like, using this name is also, like, playing around with that image and also distorting what that image is. So, like, you know, there's like all these different pageant kind of drag queens. And my whole thing was sort of a little bit more avant garde and more about the interaction with the person within the nightclubs.
0: You know, my next question is going to be is how has she defined your brand? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you've touched on that a little, mm-hmm. but away from the clubs, uh-huh. on the street, uh-huh. in restaurants. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, how do you think that Shaquanda has defined your brand?
1: It, it makes people think about artisanal differently. Where, like, when we think of foods that are, like, specialty and, like, well-curated, we have, like, one particular image where it's, like, usually, like, either cis male or cis female. And it generally doesn't include, like, people from the hood like myself. So I want, like, this, like, kind of adds that nuanced feeling of, like, what we decide is artisanal. And, like, when people have it, they're pleasantly happy and surprised, too. But, you know, with spicy food, I think it's, like, it's, such, it's just really interesting, like, how that name and how the packaging and how it works with food culture and what our expectations are.
0: And it's you on that label. It is, yeah. It's I my face. <laughs> so without giving away any trade secrets, sure, yeah. um, how's your hot sauce different? Uh, it is like a bouquet
1: of, like, different flavors, so it's like it hits you first with like this sort of like fruitiness and the robustness from a, from the onions, because I use a lot of onions. Like Barbadians, we love cooking with onions. We love pickled onions, dehydrated onions, fresh onions, caramelized onions. We put so many different types of that process in, in a lot of things we cook. <laughs> so like that's like kind of like the base, so you're feeling like flavor and fruitiness. and then. It goes into, like, this sort of citrus, and then it ends, like, with, like, this heat. So the heat starts building up, but you're still allowed to taste your food. Right. And that's, like, a very, like, big thing with Barbadian hot sauce is that you're supposed to taste what you're eating, but still enjoy, like, the kind of seduction of the spice. It's
0: like a, it's a pairing. Yeah. More than a... Uh, a flavor enhancer. I yes. mean, it's a flavor it enhancer, a flavor enhancer yeah. but more of a pairing flavor enhancer versus taking over. Exactly. And exactly. <laughs> just being spicy. <laughs> How important is it to you where you source your ingredients? It is important.
1: It's something that I'm learning more and more where like the industry for farming is still uh, often clouded. And, you know, when we think about organic and we think about biodynamic and then we think about conventional things like you know they're all like these are the, that's the kind of produce we get conventional meaning not certified organic it is typical of what we have in grocery stores and that organic is a label that the government or which the it's constantly being changed the laws uh then we have biodynamic and biodynamic as like you know usually smaller farms that practice the most ancient forms of like how they grow their produce Uh, Biodynamic produce is often the hardest thing to find and source because it's also the most expensive. Mm -hmm. I think it's the way that most produce should be farmed, but that's like a harder... We'll get there eventually one day. Mm -hmm. And then learning about conventional, like within the United States, or just farming within the United States versus outside, because you can get the most amazing organic things from out of the country, but we don't know how those people are treated on the farms. So I, I do my best to learn about where um, I get my produce from, which is mostly within the United States.
0: Do you try to get it even here in New York? Yeah, State? When the,
1: yes. When, so when the summer rolls around, that's when I pump up my production. And so, like, I have like farms that I work with. That's mostly like upstate and also Jersey and Pennsylvania. And so, like, from this area, I can like pull a lot of the produce that I need. And the horseradish comes from New York, so you know, I always have like some tasty horseradish from here.
0: <laughs> nice, and. Th- the recipe, I mean, did it come from some a tradition from growing up or was it something you created yourself from scratch? So Barbadian hot sauce, no
1: matter whose family makes it or what company makes it, it'll, have all, it'll always have onions, mustard, turmeric, vinegar, and peppers, and salt and sugar. Like that's like kind of the base. Then like, you know, some other companies will nuance it with whatever kind of added spices or horseradish, which I love. Like, I don't see that many companies. I only know one company that uses horseradish. And then, like, families add whatever extra little things that sort of makes it their own personal thing. So I started with that kind of base, and then I built my food history around. I was like, what ingredients are important to me in my New York culinary experience that I can incorporate into a Barbadian flavor? And so, like, you know, like apple cider vinegar. Like, you know, I grew up, loving that stuff. And like, you know, I think a lot of us like love apple cider vinegar. It's not typical of a Barbadian recipe, but I use some apple cider vinegar for that kind of New York-y, apple-y feeling. <laughs> and then uh the horseradish is like, is a rarity that you see in Barbadian recipes, but I use it because I, I love horseradish. As I was making it and testing it with people and friends and strangers, you know, like getting responses and sort of editing and we're doing my recipe until where it is now
0: and you're good with it where yeah it is yes now. i'm happy with it <laughs> <laughs> so a very important part of the product is the flavor but it's also about the brand just mm-hmm. to go back yeah. a little a little more to the beginning of our conversation so you identify yourself as a queer barbadian new yorker yeah <laughs> so besides making good hot sauce uh-huh. what else are you trying to achieve what message are you trying to convey
1: just the sort of differences, like... And it wasn't, like, something that I started off, like, thinking. That that wasn't part of my main, like, objective when I started the hot sauce. I just was doing my market research and seeing who else were my competitors and, like, you know, what other companies, like, learning about different companies. And I didn't find... Like, I found a few queer-owned companies within the food industry, and I didn't really find any queer black-owned companies. And so I kind of, like took this on myself to be like okay like I'm here like we're here we you know like we're, we're we live in New York and we're in such a diverse area and like we have all this like amazing cultural exchange but I didn't see enough of that represented on the shelves and like I think we will get there one day but you know I was just like oh crap am I the only one doing this like that that's from my identity and then like how does identity politics play into Food culture, You know, it's like a lot of questioning that I ask myself. Um, the most important thing for me is, like, creating a product that is delicious, that is authentically me. And, like, I think all those things combined kind of, like, makes it aware. Like, it's like, you know, the identity is part of the food.
0: There's another quote I read as well that you described yourself as a one-queen shop. Yeah, <laughs> Is this still
1: true? Yes. I have a, well, I have a partner, who, uh, my business partner, Dominic Mondavi, and he and I went to school together, and we've always collaborated with making uh, different art projects. And he's also a foodie and loves to eat. And, you know, he and I work together with our display and our packaging and sort of the visual content for our product and our future products. But for the most part, yes, I'm the one in the kitchen chopping those onions. You know, <laughs> ordering those things, filling those bottles. Designing
0: the packaging, right? I mean, well, did,
1: Dominic and I designed the together. together. Yes. did you
0: go to art school?
1: I did. I went to Parsons.
0: Right. And what did you study there?
1: I studied fine arts and integrated design curriculum. So kind of like uh, design under the umbrella of sustainability and product design and fine arts were like my focus. And so kind of it's like funny because like I dropped out. I'm an art school dropout and <laughs> I'm still to this day using the kind of education from that small moment. Also my life to create a product that is sustainable. Like I think of like, you know, using glass bottles, not too much plastic. And like I mail when I mail out, I use paper and cardboard. And, you know, so that's like sort of my sustainable aspect. And then the sort of fine art way of thinking about developing a product. So it's like, is it art? Is it commercial? Like, what about it makes it different? Like these sort of questions that you know, an artist, a fine artist, would ask when they're making something. And then it's like, how do you let go of that and just create something without being bogged down by all the sort of conceptual things that plagues the artist's mind? like <laughs> it often
0: puts a big stop on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or delay. Mm-hmm. You faced some business challenges last mm-hmm, year mm-hmm. Uh, with your kitchen. Mm-hmm. What happened? So Pilot Works closed down. They, I think I...
1: Don't and, know. Sorry,
0: where were they located? They were sorry.
1: They were in the Pfizer building in Bed Stuy. So they were this uh, incubator space, beautiful kitchen, with a lot of it was 180 companies that rented from them. A lot of like uh, known Brooklyn companies too that were you know established and like starting to scale. Like you know that had they also offered distribution. And so the company had uh, different incubators outside of New York. Uh, a couple, in, uh, one in um, Portland, Maine, then one in Baltimore, and a couple like spread out. So and that was a
0: great community for you there.
1: Yeah, and like, it was so pretty. You know, I'd walk in the kitchen, and the light would just, you know, it's really, <laughs> but they overexpanded, I think, or they just didn't spend their money correctly or reinvested correctly, mm-hmm. and so they went bankrupt, and we lost the space, and It kind of put me in a mental freeze where it kind of made me rethink my strategy of what I was doing. So where did it take you? It took me, it brought me up here to Harlem. So now I'm in an incubator space where the community is tighter. Like it's run by some amazing women and it's like everyone's like taking care of what they do and like really focused on the community of food and like are helping us kind of develop these relationships with distributors, with bigger companies like Whole Foods and Foragers. So, I mean, like, I'm happy to be up in Harlem. And I'm, I'm also like a candidate for this program at Columbia. I am in the Harlem Local Vendor Program, but they're prepping me for, as a candidate for the Business Accelerator Program in the summer.
0: The whole food culture in Harlem, on the broad level, is relatively new. I've spent some time here and really feel the sense of community. It seems to be maybe one of the last remaining in the city. Oh. Where it feels it's like it's a city, but it feels like a tight community. Yeah, it is a very tight community, and everybody knows everybody. right? It is. It's
1: true. <laughs> like it was kind of like as a New Yorker from a, well from Brooklyn, like moving up here. I was like, yeah, I got this. I'm a New Yorker. You know, it's like moving, and I realized like you know even though we're also similar, it is like harder to squeeze in, but still easy at the same time because like I connected on that New York kind of tip, but at the same time I was like, oh yeah. It is different, (laughs) but it still is like New York. And I'm lucky enough to have friends that are from here that I can
0: kind of like be like, hey, (laughs) I'm here now. (laughs) (laughs) How have your business practices evolved over the past six years? I mean, from when you started Mm -hmm. to today, how have you managed to expand your reach? What do you see as being an important part of your business infrastructure?
1: I don't, like, that's a hard question because, like, I feel like I get caught up in just creating and making. In the last six years, it's been kind of, like, focusing on restaurant outreach and working with chefs. I want, like, to be in, like, great restaurants because my product is great and thought out and to be in the company of a thought out chef in their food program at their restaurant, you know? So that's where, like, I've sort of redirected my focus.
0: I mean, is distribution... I would love, yeah.
1: I mean, like when I was at Pilot Works, I started, I got distribution, and then they closed. So now I'm working on getting distribution uh, set up for the spring with different distributors. So
0: how is that? I mean, I am very aware of the distribution side of the spirits industry Mm -hmm. as a distillery owner a uh, craft distillery owner. But I'm not aw- familiar with the food side. I mean, is it as arduous? <laughs> I of it's arduous oh, as well. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm just, like, anything related, like, you know, you develop this relationship with someone that is hopefully presented to these, like, stores that you normally wouldn't, you know, have time to go into or, like, you know, if you're one person, like <laughs> like myself, you're just like, oh, I can't make it to these 50, 60 stores in the next week, but, you know, over time it'll get there. So hopefully with the distributors, what they do is they send out you know, like, here's a new product that we carry now. Are you interested? And they'll point me to, like, you know, a store, and, like, my relationship with them is, like, yeah, like, you they take my product, they buy my product, and then they sell it to the store, but I also show up to the store, and do demos or et cetera.
0: You talked about restaurants and selling it to restaurants and I, and I you know, your bottle sizes, what what are the ounces? Um, well, there
1: are five ounces. They used to be 6.7 in a flask bottle. And then I realized that that wasn't efficient for me, like labeling-wise, time-wise, like the size, the cost of that bottle. I love the aesthetic of it. And it's like, that's what a lot of Barbadian hot sauces use is that, that kind of bottle, but it just didn't make sense anymore. So I switched over. A, like a sleek whiter woozy bottle.
0: Do you have to adjust for different markets to be able to sell it at a better price? I mean, as the, you know, for the restaurants, let's say, let's say a restaurant was buying your product, would they buy those bottles or do they want it in a larger? They, well,
1: I offer for food service, the half gallon size, which is more cost efficient for right. a restaurant. And then like they can uh, refill the bottles or if they can order more wholesale bottles for me. but. Yeah, I have half gallons. It saves everyone money.
0: Are you doing this full time?
1: I am. Yeah, I just moved over to doing it full time. You did. Congratulations. Now, how
0: was that? Was that a scary move? Yeah, yeah, it is scary because it's just like,
1: you know, all of the the ducks are sort of there and just, you know, it's all on me. You know, I pay myself. And so, like, if the company is not generating the correct amount of money to support the company and myself, then I'm. You know, out of out of a job, I have to. I would have to fire myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, so I'm trying not to fire myself. <laughs> I, I met you, uh, Andre, at, 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 a, at a makers fair at, mm-hmm. at Venetia Actually, yes. are you doing a lot of those events? I mean, do you find them to be more of a, a marketing moment, a big selling moment, or are they both?
1: I think it's both. Like it really depends, like on the market and like where it is and. What makes it valuable for me, like, because I don't know how to drive, I'm going to learn this year.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. I'll teach you. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> i, I lived in England with very good drivers over there.
1: <laughs> so, like, for example, like, when the Venetia Flea goes upstate, I'm kind of screwed because, like, I can't take the train with all
0: my stuff. And, like, those those bottles are heavy. We need to organize a carpool situation, yeah. <laughs> I think, to get you there. Who have been some of your biggest influences? And how have they affected your decision-making with this business?
1: Mm, I never really thought of, like, specifically who... I mean, my grandmother, for sure. Like, you know, food was an important part of her experience as someone who worked professionally in the food industry as a chef. And then, like, moving to the United States were her last remaining kids to start over. Just, like, the love of food for her. Then, like, my friend Ginger and Preston, they're a couple, and. Their, like, love and approach to food is always inspiring. So I look up to them as, like, this funny, strange, loving couple that, like, loves food and, like, creates beautiful things.
0: And any chefs that you aspire to get in front of or that you follow? Well, Marcus Samuelson is definitely one
1: of them. Like, been to Aquavit, like, years ago and, like, been to the Red Rooster. And I just love, like, his take on food, like from like a Scandinavian perspective, but also from like an African perspective, like his approaches of flavor and textures, I find interesting. Um, and then there's also like of the celebrity type, I would say like, I mean, Mark Samson is a celebrity, but like Rachel Ray would be one of them, you know, like,
0: hey, Rachel. Now I think, is that, is that more her personality? It is her personality, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is a lot, which is all, really, mm-hmm. when I think of your product, Andre, I think mm-hmm. of the personality because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it just reeks personality yeah, It's spicy <laughs> It's spicy and it's yeah it's, it's hot on the bottle and you're hot dressed up as the and it's just it's amazing It is it's, it's very well put together like the whole story yeah. You kind of look at the bottle and you and you see it What's next? I'm making two other hot sauces Ooh exciting I, yeah. Can you share?
1: I can share a little a little a green one you know and a, and a spicier one Uh, The spicier one is definitely going to be smoky. I'm still trying to, like, work out, like, the sort of balance of flavor and heat, but that's kind of hard when It's like, this one's for the pepperheads that really love, they needed that extra level, (laughs) which is how I kind of find myself. I don't know how to let go, because for me, it's, like, about flavor and heat, but, like, for this, like, really hot one, it's, like, the hot will just, the... Heat levels will just take away from the flavor, so it's like, what else can I creatively like? This is a problem that I'm trying to solve, like aspects of eating that'll still involve the palate while it's like burning.
0: It sounds <laughs> really cool. <laughs> Can't wait to try it. There is one more thing I want to ask you because, because sure? as you're talking, I'm remembering you use social media in a really great way. To promote your product Mm -hmm. through images and through video Mm -hmm. and using yourself. I mean, it's like I know you went to art school, but it's like you went to acting school that you Mm -hmm. know how to to put something together like that. How do you feel that's helped get your product out there?
1: It adds like another dimension of storytelling. And so like the customer can either relate to it or like get a more in-depth look or the layers of like who. I am as a maker who I am as a person. So I think it like adds a sense of familiarity, which is like, you know, I feel most people now are starting. They want this, this authenticity. They want this relationship. They want to know more. They want to see more of a person. And as we move into technology, video is like a an important part of that. So like we use our pictures and We're, like, on our phones and, like, Instagramming, but also video is, like, another... It's so, like, anyone can make video really now, but it's, like, how do you take that... making that video to the next level? So it's, like, using video, photos, text, and all these different things together is, like, a way to, like, help someone
0: understand the story. And just one one final yes. thought. I just would love to, your take on collaboration, uh-huh. and so, and if you utilize the concept of collaboration of in building your business. Yes,
1: yeah, Dominic, my partner. We collaborate. It's always important to go have another mind, you know, that you trust, or even adding another mind that is completely different because you're seeing different sides of like something that you are one-sidedly thinking of. So it constantly evolves your approach on how to make something. So it's like seeing something differently. The best way like, I can explain collaboration is like reading something out loud and then sort of reading it backwards in order to see the mistakes that you've made writing it. <laughs> so it's like collaboration and in an interesting way is like writing the story together, but also reading it out loud and backwards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is important to get those different viewpoints. And what about skill sets? And that too. Have you worked with people, traded with people yes. to to be able to get other skill sets? Yes. I have it. a
1: friend who used to be an operations manager for a big fashion company, and she's like now like embracing her cre her creative side outside of her analytical side, and so she has helped me kind of look at the year versus looking at you know the month and then. Project instead of just thinking, oh, I'm going to do this stuff. It's like all the in betweens where I didn't know how to organize myself like that. And so she kind of came on and helped me. And now I'm helping her figure out her creative ways of like making this um, storytelling thing that she wants to do. That's our form of microeconomies is like what skills we have that we can trade. And that's like one of them where it's like, okay, I can help you develop this. Creative idea, and then you'll help me figure out my operations.
0: <laughs> and it's worked out great. Thank you for joining me today on Trade and Prosper. For more information on our organization and to listen to more podcast episodes, head over to tradeandprosper.com. Also, follow us on social media for the latest news events near you.